get into our study of 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Now, 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, as I've mentioned to you, is a re- reiteration of what we learned in 2 Samuel through 2 Kings with the uh, emphasis on the spiritual perspective. And we really see that as we move through 1 Chronicles because uh, First Chronicles speaks a lot about David. After the genealogies, there's uh, the reign and rule of David over Israel. And it's interesting. I think we're really starting to see that spiritual perspective that First and Second Chronicles is going to give to us. Because when we move into Second Chronicles, we'll get into Solomon building the temple and then just the kings of Judah. But here in First Chronicles... We see that David is spoken of how David really had a heart for God. And, of course, he was known as a man after God's own heart. And we really see that emphasized in First Chronicles because what we see is that David was one that, as we're going to continue on uh, going through these chapters, that David desired to please the Lord. He desired um, to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. And one of the things that made him a man after God's own heart is that he was a worshiper. He was a worshiper that really uh, desired to worship the Lord, to express that worship. And we're going to see that very clearly as we go through chapters 15 and 16 here tonight. And I think it's important for us to consider this because worship is a very important part of our Christian lives, individually and also as a church corporately. But First Chronicles, it doesn't go into the story of David in his sin with Bathsheba. It doesn't tell us of David's failures, you know, as uh, in his family and all the turmoil that happened that you see in Second Samuel. But it just focuses on David desiring to please God, bring the ark to Jerusalem, establish a central place of worship for him to, it, it, is, um, it is emphasized here in First Chronicles, how David defeated the enemies all around, but then how he got things ready for the temple that his son Solomon would build, and that is getting the Levites all in order, get them established as gatekeepers and doing the service uh, that they will be performing when the temple is built. Um, as worship leaders, uh, we see that his administration is uh, also uh, there given to us in first chronicles so that uh, the nation is is growing to be more powerful and and david's defeating his enemies all around that we really see that david his motivation for doing these things was to please god and we're learning so much from it how you and i how we can please god and the things that we want to do in our lives and our service for him and as we live for him and so as we open up chapter 15 david built house for himself in the city of David and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched the tent for it and then David said no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of God to minister before him forever and you recall that in chapter 13 that David he wanted to bring the ark of the covenant to the city of David after David had defeated the Jebusites he had taken Jerusalem he built the city of David and so he wants the city of David also known as Jerusalem to be the central place of worship so what he wants to do is take the Ark of the Covenant and we know what the Ark of the Covenant is as we've discussed going through the Old Testament that was that piece of furnishing that was in the Holy of Holies and 
the Ark of the Covenant was just a golden box and it had a lid on top of it that was made of pure gold with the cherubims that made up that lid. And the Lord said, I will dwell between the cherubim. And it was placed in a tabernacle in the wilderness uh, in the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies on one day of year, and that was the Day of Atonement. And so the Ark of the Covenant was the most important furnishing of the tabernacle. And we know that as you go through 1 Samuel, again, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines, went throughout the Philistine cities, and God would send a plague upon the Philistines. So they sent it back to Israel on a cart with two milk cows. And the Ark of the Covenant would be in Kirjath Jerim for several years as Saul was the first king of Israel. And we discuss how Saul, he was one that not only neglected the nation militarily, he allowed the Philistines to become very, very strong. And they would, uh, at the end of second, or at the end of uh, 1 Samuel, the beginning of 2 Samuel, we see that Saul and his sons, as we see that it's reiterated that story once again in First Chronicles, were killed up there on Mount Gilboa. But the Philistines began to occupy the cities of Israel. And so when David became king, he began to fight the Philistines, defeat the Philistines, and uh, he began to also establish the nation as a nation that feared the Lord and worshiped the Lord. And, and so here is David as the Ark of the Covenants in Kirjath Jerim. It was there during Saul's reign, not only neglecting the nation militarily, but spiritually. Saul wasn't interested in the things of the Lord. He was only interested in pursuing David. So now that David had taken Jerusalem, building the city of David, he wants to bring the Ark about 30 miles from Kirjath Jerim to Jerusalem. And again, as I mentioned to you, he is going to pitch a tent and uh, he's going to call it the tabernacle of meeting or uh, another tabernacle. And don't get it confused with the tabernacle that's out there in the wilderness. Uh, that right now, that, that wilderness tabernacle that Moses ministered at and, and Aaron the high priest, that tabernacle has uh, been in Gibeon at this time that we're reading in First Chronicles chapter 15. So that tabernacle is about 10 miles from Jerusalem. David here is bringing the Ark of the Covenant from Kirjath Jerim to Jerusalem. He's going to put it next to his palace. And again, he's going to set up the Levites that they're going to establish where there's worship that is being offered to the Lord um, on a daily basis. So here is David wanting to do that. Now, chapter 13, we saw that he attempted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, didn't he? And what he did, David, was he put the Ark on a cart that was being pulled by an ox. And one individual that was escorting the Ark of the Covenant was a man by the name of Uzzah. And you recall, as David is celebrating, he had consulted with the leaders of Israel, and, and they said, yes, David, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and let's establish Jerusalem as the central place of worship. And again, David wanting to do that to honor the Lord and to please the Lord. And I think that he was uh, desiring to do that with his heart. But the thing was that he was doing it the wrong way. And we discuss in chapter 13 something very important that, that we need to realize, and that is we can have zeal for the Lord. We can have a desire to please the Lord and, and to honor the Lord and how we serve him and how we live for him. 
but the Lord has a certain way in which he wants us to do it. And we need to make sure that we're doing it the Lord's way when it comes to service to him, when it comes to living for him. And that's why the word of God is so very important because we know that the word of God had told David and the children of Israel that when the Ark of the Covenant was to be carried, it was to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites, right? So Numbers chapter 4, the Kohathites were to carry the furnishings, and that included the Ark of the Covenant. Well, what happened with David, he did it the Philistine way. He did it the world's way. And he put that Ark on a cart, pulled by an oxen, the oxen stumbles, Uzzah puts his hand on the ark because it's about ready to, to fall off the cart, and God strikes him dead. And David was confused. He was frustrated. He was upset. He said, how is it that I can move the ark? How can I do this thing? It, it was like David was saying, Lord, I wanted to please you. I did this to honor you. But all of a sudden, Uzzah is dead. And one of the things that we learn from that you know, chapter is as Uzzah put his hand on the ark and he was struck dead because God said in his word in Numbers chapter 4, anybody that touches the ark is going to be struck dead. If it isn't done in the way that I prescribe, God is a God of order. And as 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the end of the chapter tells us, do everything decently and in order. So God is a God of order. There are certain ways that he has for us to live and serve for him, as I said. But, you know, sometimes we think, I'll give you a hand, God, in this area. And one of the things that we learn from chapter 13 is don't give God a hand. I mean, we're there to serve him. We're there to be available for him. But God, I'll do it my way. I know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm very resourceful. I'm very intelligent. I, I got a plan. And God says, here's what I want you to do. And David, being confused and frustrated, the Lord had already spoken to David through his word. And so what we need to, to understand is that um, we need to go to the Lord, even in those times. You see, David didn't just remain in his frustration, but that tragedy of Uzzah motivated him to search the scriptures. And I think we need to remember that when we go through times where things aren't working out or times where we're frustrated, that we need to not back away from the Lord or ignore the Lord or begin to pout and, and say, I'm not going to you know, you know, seek you, Lord, anymore. What we need to do is search him. And seek God in his ways and seek his word. Because oftentimes he will speak to us uh, as we do that. And uh, so that's what happened here. Uh, David realizes, hey, no one may carry the ark of God, verse 2, but the Levites. Hey, God has spoken. The Levites are to move the ark of the covenant. And so he realized that God had a certain way that they were to do that. And verse 3, And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. And then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites. And then you have the names that are written there um, through verse 11. Um, as you see that um, there is the sons in verse 5 of Koath. They were the ones that carried the furnishings. Verse 6, the sons of Mariah, we've discussed how Numbers says they were the family, the Levites, that carried the boards of the tabernacle. And then the sons in verse 7 of Gershom, the Gershomites, they were the ones that carried all the curtains and everything like that. 
for the tabernacle. They each had their own specific ministry that they were to do, and that's important for us to understand because as you go through Numbers chapter 4, as you go through you know, the book of First Chronicles, as we're learning about the Levites, and, and there's an emphasis on the Levites and what they did, the gatekeepers, the musicians, as we've read, there's no shortage of service. They did all manner of service there at the tabernacle and then later on when the temple was built. The Lord has a ministry for you to do. And he has a calling for you, and he desires to gift you. And you don't have to try to do somebody else's ministry. So the Kohathites, they were the ones that were to carry the Ark of the Covenant. So the, their names are, are listed there. We won't go through all their names. But we know that in verse 11 that David called for Zadok and Abiathar the priest. It's interesting. The indication is that there were two high priests. Why were there two high priests at this time? And we see that in David's reign. Some scholars have suggested because... The ark uh, was here in Jerusalem, so one of the priests were there, and we're going to see that burnt offerings and peace offerings were offered here at the city of David where the Ark of the Covenant was, and then where the tabernacle was as well, sacrifices were done there at Gibeah, and so perhaps that's why two priests are listed here, uh, and the Levites, again, remember that the Levites, um, that not every uh, Levite was a priest. Only the sons of Aaron were priests. And um, so every priest was a Levite, and not every Levite was a priest. And you have the different families that we just saw here. But uh, we've looked at uh, these names here, and in verse 12, and he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. So the ark is brought to Jerusalem right away. And you Levites, you priests, you sons of Aaron, what you are to do is that you're to sanctify yourself. And of course, that word sanctify or the word sanctification means to be set apart. And here it has the meaning of separating, separating yourself from any kind of wrongdoing. In other words, what they were doing in sanctifying themselves is that we want to do this right. We wanted to do it the right way, and we want to have the right heart as well. And that's a very important part as, as we sanctify ourselves, as we set ourselves apart. You see, we are being sanctified day by day as we give ourselves to the Lord. We're being set apart for the purposes of God, to serve Him, to honor Him. But it's to be done with the right heart, and that's very, very important. You see, there's salvation that comes to you and to me as we give our lives to Jesus Christ, as we come in faith and trust, surrendering to him, realizing that we need the Savior of the world, Jesus, to forgive us of our sins because he died on Calvary's cross. He's provided for that, and then he was put into a grave, and he rose again. And as we come, there's justification, but then there's sanctification. We are being set apart as we're being conformed into the image of Jesus day by day. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own flesh, in our own energies, but just yielding to the Lord, allowing him to work in our lives. And as we do, it is not only desiring to do what is right in the sight of the Lord, but doing it with the right heart, and that is very important. You see, it was the Pharisees in the gospel narratives that you read that the Pharisees, they would say that we're the separated ones. We're the separated ones that are going to dedicate ourselves to keeping the most minute details of the law. And they boasted in that, didn't they? 
And it got to the point where they were more concerned about their traditions and, and, and you know, all the, the rules and regulations that they forgot to have a heart for God. And the Lord would come and rebuke those Pharisees and, and he would say, you've made the, the word of God of no effect. You're only concerned about your traditions and your rules and regulations. You're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you're all polished, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. And so Jesus rebuked the religious leaders. So again, the emphasis is not just doing what is right in the sight of the Lord, but having a right heart. And sanctification is that, Lord, I want to have a heart of devotion, wanting to please you. I'm being set apart for your purposes, for your glory, for your good pleasures. And Lord, I want to do it right. And I think verse 13 is a real key here. As, as we read, they said that because we did not do it right the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. And so we always want to consult the Lord. We always want to go to him and say, Lord, am I doing it right? And how you... Know, the, how you instruct me to raise my children in the ways of the Lord and how I serve you and how we worship you and, and how we do church here at Calvary Chapel. That's the wonderful things about uh, studying the book of Acts that we see the model for the church in the book of Acts and how they were Christians, early Christians, were ministering in, in, under the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And we see the model and for the church, and, and it's wonderful for us to learn about that. So here we see that they had a desire to not only have a heart for the Lord, but to, to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And as we continue on in, in uh, verse uh, 14, let's go there. So the priests and the Levites did sanctify themselves to bring up the ark of the God, uh, Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders, by its poles, as Moses had commanded, according to the word of the Lord. And then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be singers accompanied by instruments of music, string instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising the voice with a resounding joy. And so we see here that worship, again, being very much an important part of moving the Ark of the Covenant. There's, you know, the Levites, and we're going to see uh, that the Levites listed here that uh, really were kind of in charge of, of moving the ark, the musicians that were there and in, in bringing the ark up to Jerusalem. Verse 17, the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and, the, and his brother Asaph. And we've already talked about those two brothers. Uh, Heman and Asaph wrote some of the Psalms that we have in our Bibles. And then all the names that are listed there, as you go through verse 24, um, they again uh, were uh, bringing worship to um, this movement of the Ark of the Covenant uh, in charge of that. And uh, these guys are going to be also set up to continue this worship as it is placed in that tent in the city of David. But all those names are there. And uh, one of the names, of course, you see is Odom Edom. Uh, he's the one that the Ark of the Covenant was there for the last three months in his house. But as we continue in verse 25, so David and the elders of Israel and the captains over the thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And we talked about how uh, his house was blessed as we ended chapter 13. And the Ark of the Covenant, of course, symbolized the tangible presence of God. Moses, I'll meet with you between the cherubim, that lid that was on the Ark of the Covenant. 
And, and so uh, here is this individual, Obed-Edom. In his house was the Ark of the Covenant, and his house was blessed. And in our own homes, as we desired that the presence of the Lord uh, be recognized and, and the things of God be talked about, and we have a song in our hearts, making melody in our hearts to the Lord in our homes, as people come in and see that the Lord is really here, your home is going to be blessed. So our homes are to be a sanctuary, a place where the Lord is spoken of, where the Lord uh, is uh, the priority in our homes, and we know that the Lord is in our homes, and his presence is there, then our homes are going to be blessed, just as Odom Edom here was. And they did it with great joy. Um, it shows me here, as, as we look at here in verse 25, that the worship that they did is they're bringing it from uh, his house and Kerjath-Jerim, uh, they, they brought it a little ways in Odom, Edom house, wherever that was, somewhere between Jerusalem and Kerjath-Jerim, as they're bringing it once again. And you can just picture it, the Levites that are all listed here, and all the instruments and the singing and the celebration. And we know that even David, as you go to the story in Second Samuel, that every six paces that he would sacrifice, there was a sacrifice that was being done. And they did this here, as it says, with joy. Listen, worship should be joyful. I've been in sometimes, a few times, in, in, um, at a church or you know, a gathering of believers where worship was so somber and it was so serious and it was like, ooh, and it's like there was no joy in it at all. And what I pray is, is that the worship that you have in your life and what we do here at Calvary Chapel, that it would be with great joy. In verse 26, so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen and were all the Levites who bore the Ark, the singers with uh, Chenaniah, the music master with the singers. And David also wore a linen ephod. In verse 28, thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting with the sound of the horn, with trumpets, with cymbals, making music with string instruments and harps and it happened as the ark of the covenant of the lord came to the city of david that michael saul's daughter looked through a window and saw king david whirling and playing music and she despised him in her heart so what we see here is um you know after three months of the ark sitting there in obed edom's house and now moving it and and there was the sacrificing of oxen and fatted sheep it wasn't the quickest way it wasn't you know, where they were rushing through this. And you can read this and you can think, David, why didn't you just have the Levites carry it? I mean, they had a long enough distance to go, but when you've got to stop and sacrifice, that's going to take even longer. But again, it wasn't a rush here to, to get this done. It was a desire to please the Lord and give thanksgiving to the Lord. And we're going to take our time in doing that. What I hope and pray is that we don't rush through worship here at Calvary Chapel. Again, we want to come to that place where we're resting in the Lord and drawing close to the Lord. Not just an exercise, but really engaging. Because that can happen to us as, as a church. That can happen to us as Christians. Of Okay, here we, we come, and we meet on Sundays, and we meet on Wednesdays, and we have a time of worship, and you know, let's 
get through the worship so we can get to the teaching of the Word of God. And even uh, pastors, you know, that uh, can have that kind of mindset. Okay, let's just get this done and let's, you know, get to the teaching of the Word of God. The teaching of the Word of God is very important, but so is worship. It's an important part of our service. And it isn't just an exercise we go through, but we do it to please the Lord, to draw close to the Lord. And we don't want to rush through it. It's a very important part of our ministry. And I would encourage you that, that you would be free to worship. And here is David. He's, you know, uh, dancing and celebrating before the Lord. He has just a, a linen robe on, and he's celebrating here. He's really giving his worship to the Lord, and he's doing it with great joy as we see here, that we would be free just to worship the Lord. And here is Michael. This is David's wife, his first wife, and, and Saul's daughter. And, and she looks out the window and sees David, you know, rejoicing before the Lord. And, and we know as we compare it to 2 Samuel chapter 6 that she despised him and rebuked him. And David, you know, would, uh, you know, uh, say something to her. But she ended up being, you know, barren the rest of her life. She had no children. And I know this that if worship is not an important part of our Christian lives, that there's going to be a barrenness that's going to be in our spiritual lives. There's just going to be a barrenness that's going to be there. So what my prayer is that you would be free just to worship the Lord. And you see, worship doesn't just take place here at the church. It's an attitude of the heart. It's, it's something that we do every day. It's giving thanks to the Lord. And what we're going to see as we now move into chapter 16 is how it is that we can worship the Lord. What is the components that make up worship in our lives as we do that? And it is giving adoration and praise to him. That can happen in your home. It can happen, you know, while, you know, you're uh, taking a walk uh, in the park, you know, on a nice day. It happens here corporately in the church. But you would just be free to worship the Lord, to be able to raise your hands, to be able to close your eyes. And sometimes we think, I don't want to, you know, what will, you know, that person next to me think or the person behind me? You know, it doesn't matter what they think. What does the Lord think? How do you please him when you just say, Lord, I'm not going to allow this, you know, anyone around me to distract me. I just want to be free to worship you, to lift my hands to you, to close my eyes, to sing out to you. Don't be afraid to do that. And really what I pray is that, that we would become more and more of a, a church that we know that worship is a very much important part of our services and of our our, our church ministry. I would encourage you to come out on the 31st uh, when we have that night of worship. It's just going to be a Friday night, a night of worship here at Calvary Chapel. Come out where we just worship the Lord and, and sing songs to the Lord. And that's what I would encourage you and all of us to have opportunity to do that, to take uh, that opportunity just to come on that night of worship. So here the Ark of the Covenant is, is moved to Jerusalem in chapter 16 now. So they brought the Ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. So again, keep in mind that the, um, the tabernacle that David erects here is not the tabernacle that was in the wilderness. That's about 10 miles away. And we know that here in verse 2 that David, that he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Now, remember from the book of Leviticus, in chapter 1 of Leviticus, the burnt offering is told to us. It was an offering of 
consecration, devotion to God, where the animal was taken and completely consumed on the sacrifice. And it symbolizes devotion to God. Lord, that I want to be a living sacrifice unto you, as the New Testament says, as Paul writes there in the book of Romans. I want to be a living sacrifice for you. Lord, I want to give you all of my heart. I want to be completely devoted to you. That's the Lord's desire for you and for me. So here is the burnt offerings and then the peace offerings, Leviticus chapter 3, and that was speaking of fellowship with God, and those two go together. Because when you have devotion to God and, and you're devoted to Him, then it's going to produce intimate fellowship with Him. And so here we see that he would offer these, these burnt offerings and peace offerings. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So here uh, David would bless the people. They would receive bread and meat and a cake of raisin. In verse 4, and he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank and to praise the Lord. God of Israel, Asaph the chief, and next to him Zechariah, and the names again that are are uh, given there: J uh, J L and Shema uh, Shema Moth and uh, Mattaiah and Eliab and uh, Benaniah and Obed Edom and uh, J uh, I L with string instruments and harps in verse five. But Asaph made music with cymbals and Benaniah and Jaziel. The priests regularly blew the trumpets before the Ark of the Covenant of God. So you really see here that the Levites uh, appointed to worship. It's an ongoing ministry, verse 6. Benaniah and, and Jezhaziel uh, blew the trumpets regularly, or that is continually. You see, our worship should be continually, should be constantly. Not just when we gather here at church. But again, worship really is an attitude of the heart. Do you have a heart of worship when you wake up in the morning? Oh, Lord, just thank you for this day. I just love you, Lord. That's, that's worship. As you go out throughout the day, as you, you know, take a walk and, and you look at the trees that are, uh, you know, leafing out all around us in the warm weather and the beautiful clouds, you know, you can just worship the Lord. And it, it's not just at a certain moment at one time during the week, but continually in our hearts. And so we see that our worship is to consist of, as we look at verse 4 here, again, to draw attention, to commemorate. It is to commemorate who God is. Isn't it interesting when you look at the prayers of um, the saints that are recorded for us in the scripture, that oftentimes those prayers will commemorate who God is. You are the creator of the universe. You are the true uh, God, the only God. And so worship is, Lord, you're the creator. You're the one that is the true and the living God, commemorating who he is. And we need to do that in our worship. And then also what we see that second of all, that uh, thanks for what he has done, uh, as we see thanks. And then thirdly, and to praise to the Lord God of Israel. I think that thanksgiving is very important. We live in a society and in a nation where we like to murmur and complain. And we're not thankful. We want more. And I pray that would not be said of us as Christians. 
you see particularly in the New Testament, but also all throughout the scriptures, the emphasis for you and I as believers is we are to have thanksgiving for what God has done for us. And we should be thankful. And Paul would write, in everything give thanks. And we can't. We can go through the difficulties and the trials and the losses and the grief and all of that. But in that, we can give thanks because we have you, Lord. And you've saved me and you've forgiven me and your promises are true. So always have a thankful heart. I really believe that one of the keys to be a worshiper and to grow in the Lord is to be one that you are thankful to the Lord for what he has done. He has saved us. We're forgiven. He's done so much for us. His blessings to us. And then thirdly, praise. That's just giving adoration to the Lord. And so on this day, verse 7, David first delivered this psalm to the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. So what we see here is David's song of thanksgiving. And this psalm was written for this special occasion when the Ark of the Covenant was brought to the city of David and placed in the tabernacle. And this psalm was delivered to Asaph. And David does this to thank the Lord. Here's something that I think would be neat. Here's a little homework assignment, all right? During the week, as you're just spending some time with the Lord and just, um, you know, in your devotions, write a psalm to the Lord. Write a psalm to Him. A psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm of, of praise to the Lord. I think that's a good thing to do once in a while. Take your Bible, take your, your you know, notebook, your journal, whatever, and just write a psalm to the Lord. Just praise Him. And if you're, you know, I don't know if I want to do that, write a psalm in your heart to the Lord. Just praise Him, just worship Him. So oftentimes, you see, in our prayer life, we're to go to the Lord, and, and Jesus said, ask, please ask that your joy may be full. We go to him, give him our supplications, our petitions. We, we intercede on behalf of others, but also our prayer life is to include just that praise and worship to the Lord. And just spend some time. Lord, at this time, I'm not going to be asking for anything, but Lord, I just want to spend this time worshiping you and praising you. And do that psalm in your heart if you want to do that. But Lord, thank you for being so good, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness in my life, how you've blessed me. And it's wonderful to be able to do that. So here is David, that he writes this psalm. And again, as I mentioned to you before, the difference between David and Saul, Saul never wrote a psalm to the Lord. You don't have any psalms recorded as Saul. David did, and that's why David was a man after God's own heart. And so in this song of thanksgiving, this psalm that's recorded for us, in verses 8 through 13 is a call to praise. We read, O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord, Verse 11, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. So praise God for all that he has done and talk of his wondrous works. So can I ask you a question tonight? Do you do that? Do you make known his deeds, how he has blessed you? You see, sometimes when we talk to others, what we like to talk about is we like to talk about doctrine or we like to talk about church 
or we like to get involved in discussion groups or you know whatever it might be now don't misunderstand me there's nothing wrong with those things and there are a place for you know discussion groups and talking about doctrine we like to talk about theology but sometimes that's really all that we focus on and i guess the older that i get and again i know that there are times for that and i'll talk theology with people and i'll talk about doctrine and you know join in with discussions with others i enjoy that but i'll tell you what i really enjoy and what i really love to do is just be around those who love to just praise him who talk of his wondrous deeds you know this morning i was uh, officiating uh, uh, peace officer memorial service uh, may 15th is peace officer memorial day and so every year um, the sheriff's office uh, does a ceremony in bittersweet park and i was officiating it uh, today and so a lot of all the law enforcement comes out from weld county and some of the state troopers and it's really a neat time and uh, one of the guys down at the sheriff's office that sings the national anthem, I just love this guy. He loves the Lord. He's a strong Christian. And we were just walking, you know, across the park. And, um, you know, he, he just, he's so kind. And he's, how's your family doing? And God is good. And, you know, I've been promoted as commander in the sheriff's office. And I'm so blessed. And he was just talking about the, the wondrous deeds of the Lord and how the Lord had blessed them. And we were even talking about heaven. You know, what a beautiful day it is. And, and uh, it's so wonderful. And God is so good. And how glorious it'll be, he talks about, you know, when we get to heaven. And I just love being around this guy. Because he just talks about the goodness of God and, and the wonder of God and how God has blessed him. And, and he recognizes that. You know, we didn't walk, you know, through the park and says, well, what's the doctrine of your church, you know? And what do you think about the, your position on the rapture of the church and, you know, you know, and reform theology and all of this? It, you know, there's a place for all of that stuff. But I just love being around him because he was just praising the Lord and talking about the Lord and had such thanksgiving to the Lord. And that's, I really love that when that happens. I remember there was an individual that came. Um, he was visiting family, and um, it was an older man uh, from the Western Slope, and he came. And I remember the three days that he was here, he was here for his granddaughter's wedding and just talking with him. He's just a man that was full of the love of God and talked about the, the, the goodness of God. And um, it wasn't in a forceful kind of way. It was a very natural, just, wow, this guy really loves the Lord. And you hear him and you say, I want to be more like that. Just like Eve at the sheriff's office or this one individual. There are some individuals that they're really that way. And I think, Lord, I just want to be more of that. I know the other things are important. But don't forget to talk about the wonderful works of God and the blessings of God, his wondrous deeds in your life. And share that with others. Share how God has been good to you and what he means to you. And you're going to bless others. So David here in these verses, he shows us how we can praise the Lord. That to give thanks, verse 8. Call upon him, verse 8. Make known his wonderful deeds, again in verse 8. Sing to him, verse 9. Talk of him. Verse 10, rejoice and seek him. And then verse 12, remember him. It's important that we remember what the Lord has done for us and who he is. 
Now, as we go through the Old Testament, we go through uh, Second Chronicles, when those kings that uh, introduced idol worship and were rebellious kings of Judah, the prophets would come and say, remember, remember what God has done. Remember his covenant, and that's what's going to be spoken of, God's covenant to his people in verses 14 through 19. For he is the Lord our God, verse 14, his judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commands for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, his oath to Isaac, and confirmed confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance when you were few in number, indeed very few strangers in it. So remembering God's covenant with his people. And verse 14, David saying, yes, Lord, you made a covenant with Israel. God wanted his people never forget the covenant that he made with them. So again, the prophets would come to them when they were in rebellion. Remember what God's covenant was that he'd bless you if you follow after him, how he brought you out of Egypt, brought you through the wilderness, brought you into this land. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus, as we come to the communion table, he would say, do this in remembrance of me. So in the Old Testament, they would celebrate Passover to remember how the Lord would um, bring them out of Egypt, to commemorate how they were to come out, um, and they were to do that continually. You see at different times, Joshua set up these stones. So when the, you know, your children ask, why are these stones here? It was a memorial. So the Lord wants us to remember what he has done. Jesus said, as you take the bread and the cup, do this in remembrance of me, what he did for us in shedding his blood for forgiveness of sin and allowing his body to be broken. So we always want to remember what the Lord has done. We want to remember this new covenant that we've entered into with Christ and what he has done for us in going to Calvary's cross. So remembering God's covenant with his people, but it's interesting. He also says that the Lord is um, Lord of all the earth. His judgments, his authority is in all the earth, and indeed it is. And so now we see that he speaks of God's protection in verse 20. And when they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, do not, uh, do, and do my prophets no harm. And so we read this, speaking of God's protection of his people, we think they've gone through so much. They've gone through so much. They, we're going to see, even went into captivity. The prophets were killed. But I think it speaks overall how God has preserved them as a people. And after 2,000 years of not having a homeland, they've come back into their original homeland and our nation once again, and one day the restoration of Israel is going to happen. We don't have time to talk about it tonight. You know, yesterday was Israel's 65th birthday absolutely amazing that they came back into their homeland became a nation just as the scripture says and as i read the prophecies that would say that would happen it shows me how the bible is true you know how israel became a nation coming back from all the nations coming back into the land and god has a plan for them and so talking about how that he's uh, preserved them as a people. In verse 23 through 30, the command to praise the Lord once again, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared ab above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, 
Ghost. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Verse 30, and the world also is firmly established. It will not be removed. So here the command to praise God, sing to the Lord all the earth, not just Israel. Verse 23, proclaim his salvation day to day. Do you proclaim his salvation in your life to others? That I belong to the Lord. He saved me. He's forgiven me. And then verses 24 through 27, that he alone is God. Verses 28 and 29, give to the Lord, first of all, glory and then offering. What's offering? It speaks of, you know, giving of him, of of what is due to him. It, It speaks of you and me, that we are to give to him our lives, our resources, our time. Because he gave to us everything, and that is his son. I don't fully understand. I and it's of me, myself. When I hold back, I don't, you know, want to offer, you know, everything to him. And I don't understand when a Christian really struggles with, oh, Lord, do I want to offer you the first fruits of my life, of my time and service to you, uh, of my resources investing in the kingdom of God? I mean, when we really stop and think about how he's given to us, Lord, here's my life to please you. So give to the Lord glory and, and the first fruits of our lives, of our hearts, of our service, of our resources, and then thirdly of worship. And in verse 30, for him, reverence him. That is, that we have a fear of the Lord. Here it speaks of tremble before him all the earth. He is an awesome, incredible God. In verse 31, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. And let them say among the nations the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees and the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Creation praises God. The Lord reigns. He is coming to judge the earth, and certainly he is when he comes to establish his kingdom. And then in verse 34, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, and say, Save us, our God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen. Amen, of course, means so be it. They're affirming what what David has saying here, this, this psalm, and they praise the Lord. In verse 37, so he left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly as every day's work required. So again, this worship would continue. They would maintain their worship to God. And Obed-Edom and his 68 eight brethren, including Obed-Edom and the son of uh, Jeduthun and Hosa to be gatekeepers. And Zadok the priest and his brethren the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was at Gibeon to offer burnt offerings and the Lord of the altar burnt offerings uh, regularly morning and evening and to do all according to all that was written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. And with them, he men and Jehuthun and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. And with them, he men and Jehuthun to sound aloud with trumpets and cymbals and the musical instruments of God. Now the sons of Jehuthun were gatekeepers. Then all the people departed every man to his house and David returned to bless 
his house. So the ongoing service of God there at the tabernacle and the sacrifices and now worship being established and the gatekeepers being established as well. So Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for these chapters that we gain so much for. And Lord, what my hope and prayer is is that we would be a people that, that we would have a heart of worship. We see how incredibly important that it is and Lord, that we know that worship, as we see what uh, comprises of worship, is, is, you know, acknowledging you, who you are. You are the great and awesome God. And your blessings, who sent your Son to die on the Calvary's cross for us, to bring salvation, forgiveness of sin, the one who is provided for us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what my prayer is that all of us, that we've embraced that here at Calvary Chapel, that are here tonight. And perhaps if there is somebody here or sitting in a coffee shop, you've never done that, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Just cry out to him. Believe in who he is. Jesus, the Son of God who died for you, for your sins. He's your salvation. There's no other salvation. There's no other forgiveness of sin, no other sacrifice for sin, only Jesus. And sin has separated us from God. But justification comes as you put your faith and trust in Him. You cry out to Him, Jesus, be my personal Lord and Savior. I confess that I am a sinner and I believe that you're the Son of God who died on Calvary's cross. Thank you for dying for me. And I believe that you were put into a grave and you rose again. And I open my heart to you right now. I surrender my life to you. And thank you for saving me. Thank you for your wonderful deeds for me because of your love for me. And Lord, I pray that we would express that salvation day to day as David would write in this psalm. And Lord, that we would give ourselves to you fully an offering, a living sacrifice unto your name the first fruits given to you, not the leftovers, but the first fruits of our time, our devotion, our service to you. Lord, that we would realize that you desire to do so much with us, to serve you, to walk with you, to be a testimony and a witness to others. Lord, what my prayer is is that we would have a heart of thanksgiving because we do have reason to be thankful and to rejoice because of your salvation and forgiveness.